This is the Radio Check Podcast, life in the concert touring industry. Hey, 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 brother Chris, back again. How you doing, brother? I'm really good, Matt, I think. <laughs> you think? Well, yeah, well, we, we just had like the, a mad dash to get this podcast started. So, you know, we're, we're okay. hitting the ground running here, but... Uh, yeah, I'm good. You know, it's a beautiful day in New Orleans. Uh, you know, I'm just coexisting with uh, the rest of the people in our industry, you know, getting yeah. uh, getting bits yeah. and pieces done here, looking down the road, waiting for shit to happen. Um, you know, well, it's happening. It is happening. You it know, happening. And, uh, you know, it's like you got sunshine coming through your window. I got sunshine th- coming through my window. And, you know, I guess to jump into it, looking at our guest, our, our listeners can't see, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking at our guest and there's sunshine there as well. So, um, holy yeah. Moses, look at that. Yeah, there is. Everything's rock and roll there. And, and, you know, the whole thing is, is that if things are rolling in the industry, I'm starting, even though I'm not, I don't have my finger on the pulse like you do um things are moving people are working again not at full capacity but you know it's little little bits and pieces absolutely you know there's there's tours that are getting booked um there are people that are just you know done with the waiting around and are just you know starting to take the industry back which i I admire these people i hope they all do really well i hope they all sell a lot of tickets and i hope they stick it in everyone else's eye (laughs) right on because i really think that we need to get going you know we're um the vaccine's out there, you know, you can yeah. get it. If you don't want to get it, then, you know, I, I'm not so sure that, you know, we need, we're going to wait around for what you, how you figure your life out. We're going to go back to work, you know, you know, Agreed. I, but, you know, Agreed. I don't know. I don't know. Well, our guest today, I think, I think is a perfect example of things moving in the right direction. So this is kind of exciting. I had a chance to chat with him a few minutes ago before you got on, but, uh, why don't you fire away and let us know who we got? And I think yeah. this is going to be a good one. Yeah, coming from a really interesting place. You know, we've, we've, this is our first podcast from like, you know, remotely, like on, on location kind of, kind, of, yeah. kind of respect. This is the closest we get to on location in this podcast. But we've got uh, my old friend, Tom Kenny. Hi, Tom. Hey, how you doing, man? How you guys? It, the brothers? It, the brothers good. It, yeah, yeah, it's, it's good to see you. You know, you know, he, you know Tom and I worked together uh a couple weeks ago on this black keys gig and uh you know we were just chatting and we were catching up and i'm like man you're gonna be a great podcast you know i just yeah. I just love your charisma and and you're you know and, and, and you can tell a story with the best of them you know and yeah uh, i grew and, up telling stories <laughs> you know i'm, so I'm that, not a great storyteller that's what this podcast is all about entertaining the masses and uh you know teaching them a thing or two about uh, about uh, people and who they are and where they came from so let's start off by saying you're coming from Los Angeles on site, on location at the new Los Angeles SoFi Stadium, the most expensive yeah. piece of kit in our industry right there, you know, football stadium. And Tom, you, you, you can't see it at home, but Tom is actually doing a panoramic scan of the inside of the stadium. It's huge. It's gorgeous. It's, it's modern. You know. It's unbelievable, this place. It's, it's, uh, you, you, you arrive in on ground level and you come down six levels to get to the, get to the stage. So it's dug right down into the middle of uh, Inglewood, Los Angeles, and uh, it's beautiful, this stadium. It's like I've been here by myself a lot at night, and it's so weird, like I was in a few arenas the last couple of years. It's like sitting in a church with nobody in it. 
such a strange feeling. There's, you're used wow. to so much noise. And this place has never, this is the first show ever in this place that we're doing next Sunday. Nice. And it's funny enough, it's for vaccinations. It's for, if you've got a vaccination, you can come to this show. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, and there are a lot of frontline workers, but basically uh, everybody here that's working on a majority of us are vaccinated and uh, we get tests, we're looked after, we've got the CDC, it's very safe. And uh, this show kicks off with Eddie Vedder. We've got uh, Selena Gomez as our host. We've got David Letterman. Then we've got uh, Jennifer Lopez comes up and does a couple of songs. And then we got the great Jay Balvin from South America for all our Latino friends. And then the Foo Fighters come on and they're going to play till the plug is pulled out. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, the stadium, it did a great award show that uh, John Kushner and a lot of guys from 22 Degrees did. They did the NFL honors from here. But there was nobody here and it was uh, Green Day did a little gig out at the front for that. But this is, it's like, uh, it's fantastic. We've, like Chris, I'm sure you've done the first gig in venues. What's happened with this, what's happened with this place is that because of COVID and what happened the last couple of years, they're now ready to do gigs. Whereas before they were going to do Kenny Chesney's, I think maybe Taylor Swift was going to do the first one. And uh, like everything else, they were sort of not ready. Now they're ready and it's amazing. The place is like a city. It's like unbelievable very 21st century everything's cool about the place it's great can't nice. wait to get people in nice you know? and so so field level are you saying field level where yeah you're standing field right level now, i'm down is, on is, the field is, is, is six yeah. levels below uh, six sea level uh, or whatever six it's levels like the way they've done the, the baseball fields in some cities wow, wow. yeah and uh it's beautiful it really is everything walking around it's nobody's been here weird it's like a it's a very strange situation i can't wait to hear the first guitar it's eddie better in a couple of days time i cannot wait to hear the first oh, guitar sound oh, yeah. you and me both well we did so we did a gig the other great. day we did a, the gig we did the other the other day you know where we with the black keys and, and you were you were lighting the, yeah. the, the the pay-per-view event we were doing yeah. um but you know just seeing them play live just for four songs oh, great you know, I know. It, was, it was it was incredible. I mean, when I was in rehearsals the week before the show, you know, I'm you know, I'm back to work. I've been on a plane. I'm I'm in a production office. I'm, you know, <laughs> doing stupid shit on spreadsheets, you know, whatever production managers do. And I went out and the band started rehearsing. And right when they started the first song, right then and there, I felt like, oh, yeah, I'm back to work. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, I'm back to I know, work. You know, I, I didn't, you know, getting on the plane didn't do it. You know, going into a hotel room for the first time in a year really didn't do it. But, you know, having the band start, it was just, okay, this is why we're here. This is, this is you know, you know, boiling it down to brass tacks. You know, this is, this is why we do this. This is, this is what it is. Well, I'm really glad they did it. And I was, you know, all the bands that played on that thing. And of course, basically what it was, it was a boxing match, celebrity boxing match with some music here and there. And uh, it, um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the madness of it. It reminded me of old school gigs with lots of scaffolding and lots of <laughs> shit all over the place. And yeah, yeah, the it was smell good. of pot was so good. It was uh, great. For those of us that don't drink or smoke or do anything gold <laughs> anymore, it was a great reminder of the old days, you know. Oh, that's uh, because it was a Snoop Dogg event. It was a Snoop Dogg event, and he is such a great guy. 
Yeah, I loved funny. him. I loved his people. You know, everything was great fun. Bieber was fantastic. <laughs> and who'd have thought the Black Keys and Bieber on the same stage? Yeah, and it well, worked. Yeah, it, it cool. sure did. Well, cool. you know, well, well, Tom, you, you, you and I, you know, I, I said a little while ago that you, know, you and I have known each other a long time, but we're, we, you know, we've got that relationship where we kind of drift into each other's life yeah. and then drift out again. And it's kind of like in passing. We've not toured together or anything like yeah. that, but we have shared the same stage together on, on several, several yeah. occasions. Uh, and then we've also worked in TV together on, yeah, more, yeah. Than, on more than one occasion. So, you know, we've, uh, I've seen what you do and you're, you're a very well versed with lighting you know i mean you've got yeah. the you've got the you know the leroy bennett's and the mark brickman's from the old days and the howard unger lighters and all this stuff and then you know you've got the alan brantons and the bobby dickinson's yeah, and what yeah. they do in their world and, and you yeah. kind of you kind of just float back and forth between the yeah. two and i mean pretty seamlessly yeah you know well, the and thing i think is, you're you're as respected in one as you are in the other it's, uh, it's well, just look, fucking wild how have you done I was this looking, Chris, because it was like 30 years ago or something like that and really there was only bobby and alan who did tv um oh god but alan came from remember. rock and roll though did bobby yeah. come from rock and roll no Bob, bobby yeah, came so. from he, he came from i don't know what he came from but he started working with collegius and all that so i think he was right. an electrician and he worked his way up from there. And so that's how he, he sort of created the whole TV uh, sort of live, you know, Oscars, all that stuff. And at the same time, what other people were retiring, he started coming into it. And then he's got this whole business side of it. Alan is the same sense. He came from rock and roll and did fall spot for Zeppelin and did this and did that. And he's been shouted at by Madonna, which we, you know, all of us have to sit the same, you know, have you ever been shouted at by Madonna? Yeah. Did anyone get, yeah, so you have all these traits, but to me, really what happened is about, um, I started in Ireland when I was a kid, my brothers were all Irish traditional musicians, and I used to just tag along when I was 12 or 13, and uh, my dad used to start, just let me, you know, it was great, the freedom, you'd just sort of hang around and listen to what's going on, and, and one day this guy who was sort of setting up some Bose speakers or something like that on, on little sticks said, hey, right. Tom, can you help? And I helped him and helped him with a few other things. And then he says, you're coming here next week? And I went, yeah. He says, oh, help me out. So uh, did that for a little while. And then one day my mother said, hey, some guy called John's just called. And so I called him back and he says, hey, I've got this little band called U2. And oh, I was wow. like 14 and they were like 17, 18, 19. And they just started doing clubs. So I helped them out a bit on lighting and helped a couple of other guys out and at the very, very beginning. So wow. was Joe the, Hurley there at that point? Joe had just started working for them. He had, he had been the house guy down in Cork in this venue. Right. And he had a PA that they used to use a lot. And some fantastic stories about the, 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 the original sound engineer, Niall, had had enough and was uh, sitting one day and they were all sharing a hotel or sharing a room. And Bonner said to him, you know what, you've got to, start reading the bible or something like that too because he was like raging going nuts no days off club tour of america and uh, uh niall told bono where he should put the book so he he they changed they decided they needed somebody new and they got joe and they with joe they inherited sammy who does the drums and tim uh, tim who was the stage man so it was a great bunch of corkonians worked for this double well, band well, well, steve iredale was he there steve iredale didn't come in for a while afterwards or, they or sort t- of reached. Tim, tim buckley would have been the other one right? T- tim was there john kennedy was there all those guys were there and then i think there were 
Steve was working for a band called Horslip, which is a great band, Irish band. And the drum or the main guy, Barry Devlin, he directed some of the original great U2 videos. And I think he mentioned to McGuinness U2's, hey, there's this guy, Steve, he's a great guy from Kilshimal in Mayo. And Steve started working with him. And that's how Steve grew. You know, he had to grow with the band. Yeah, he was yeah. sent off to America to see some shows and he grew and then they outgrew him and they, you know, that's the way things are. Bands move from each yeah. other. But um, the one thing I love about Steve, 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 Steve's great. He's great together. Yeah. yeah, he's very together. He's very on it. He does his thing and yeah. he's great. He's, you know, you know, it's always going to happen when yeah, there's yeah. people like Steve around. But I was lucky. So I went from that. And in Ireland, there's not much to do outside of little bands couldn't mm -hmm. afford stuff. So I worked for loads of little bands. Then I started doing fashion shows, television, film. Oh, I got wow. to about 21. Oh, so you you got you got in. I got the book because there was early. nothing else. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it well, was movies. Well, let me ask you this. Where, where, was, tell me about Famous Faye. Was Famous oh, Faye, Faye one of, was he one of your well, contemporaries was, that time? Or, yeah, or, Faye was the guy that ran away to the circus. He was basically with... Uh, great band called Boomtown Rats. It was with a guy called Brooke Shields before that, who was like a rock and roller. And then he started working with the Boomtown Rats. He made his own park hands. He made his own <laughs> stuff. And he was like the roadie, the driver, the manager, the everything. For the out of coffee Rats. cans, you know, that kind of he thing. He made them out of that, yeah. And he worked on all that shit. And uh, he's fabulous. Oh, I know boy. Faye for so fucking long. It's hilarious. And we've yeah. only toured together once. That was for about three days. And there's a re God works in mysterious ways. So... Oh, we don't, funny. but uh, yeah, Faye was that mythological character that went away, and and uh, I suppose I ended up doing that in the end as well. But uh, he worked for Def Leppard, worked for all the great bands. Oh, yeah. and he drives, he does everything. He's like a yeah. multi-purpose character, and uh, yeah, he's a great character. I think it's Irish people are just sort of level-headed, or will always have a laugh and just keep it going, you know, and yeah, don't take it too seriously, you know. But yeah. um, but yeah, some great people. And now there's some, in Ireland, there's some great characters have come out of Ireland. Uh, uh, younger guys that are working for bands. Um, Stephen Douglas, who does The Killers. There's Lee McCarty. There's uh, Cormac Jackson. There's Baz Halpin that does all the pop shows. Mm. And there's a great bunch of people. And they're all... Oh, I agree. Yeah, all great and fun. And the same in England. There's lots of great... Because I'm fortunate with The Who, we've got this great charity uh, called Teen Cancer... Uh, Teenage Cancer Trust and it's like a festival every year in the Royal Albert Hall so Roger and uh, Noel Gallagher and Ed Sheer and all these people ask people to play on it so you get these amazing young bands playing in the Albert Hall for the first time and you get to see some great talented lighting guys, you get to see a lot of wankers as we've always <laughs> but you got to see, I see oh wow that guy's good and then a few years later you see him working with somebody so we're fortunate in that sense. We're in a business where you can see people who are good and they're going to come up. And if they're cool, they get on well. You know, if they're a wanker. They'll always be a wanker. You know, well, <laughs> let's, we know. Let, let's not talk about wankers too much. No, okay, no. so so you early on. I mean, I go back and I know your, your history. I, you know, we, you, you've done you've done the Who for years and years. We mm. that's where we've probably seen each other the most. Working with uh, you know Roy Lamb. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. Right. But there's there's kind of a, an interesting story because you've worked for Robert Plant a lot. Yeah, and you know Roy. That's where I met Roy when he worked for Robert Plant back in back in the days. But let's let's talk about the Who first. But you know Roy Lamb, a legend, of course. Yeah. Um, when did you start with them? At what period of time? 
what, what, um, but the who, it's funny because in, in, in London at that time, there was a little sort of bunch of people that worked for the Stones, that worked for Floyd, worked for the who, worked for Eric Clapton. And Eric Clapton's bunch all worked for the who and they all interchanged. All oh, right. So were you Clapton and, before the who? Yeah, I did Clapton before the who. For, oh, okay. And the, I'd sort of come in when Eric had, what had happened is that Mick, who was the production manager, was off Mick, on the Mick, Mick double. double. And he was off on doing The Who in 1988, 89. And Eric was going to do some shows. And Harvey Goldsmith said to the manager, I know the right person for you. So Robert Collins, who was Dire Straits and engineering. I've worked with Robert. He's the the Welsh legend, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up, while everybody was away doing The Who, Eric went and did some shows in Africa and Switzerland and Holland and loads of places. And we filled in and... You know, they'd always had guys from Shoko and Showlights and whatever do it. They never really had proper lighting people or they had lots of different sound. And all of a sudden, and it was 1989, 19, just before oh, Eric's wow. guitar went boom again, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we started working for him. And out of that, we did loads of great tours with George Harrison. Oh, oh I was about to ask you that. Did yeah. you do the Japan tour yeah. with George Harrison? Yeah, I did all that, oh, yeah. Oh, man. So I've, I was watched lucky, so. on, I've watched that on YouTube before. I've seen yeah. it. You know, the, the set list so is I had incredible. Great conversations. You know, everybody plays really well. Yeah, great no, we had a good time doing that. And there's so many things. Like, Eric is one of those guys who would have Elton John. Like, one band we did, we had Elton John playing piano, Phil Collins as the drummer. Mark Laufer as the other guitarist, you know, and it was just, yeah. and it's well, a club, you, you know what it's so like. You, Chris. you did lights for George Harrison while he yeah. sang My Guitar Gently Weeds yeah. while Eric Clapton did the solo. Yeah. Per, In Tokyo. Pretty much almost per lick from, yeah, from yeah. the White Album. I mean, it's, it I was, uh, I've seen that on YouTube. And, then you, and we you did tack as well. That's we incredible. Did, yeah, we did some great stuff. A lot of the Beatles stuff that never got played that much, obviously on the McCartney tours or whatever, but. And George was great. He had such, like, talk about sense of humor. His sense of humor clicked with my sense of humor. Well, his and best friends were Monty Python. For I know. Sex. Well, he told me all the stories, how he <laughs> made it and all that. So I'd sit in the train with him and Eric Clapton and Ray Cooper. The, and we'd just tell fucking stories in Tokyo or in, on the bullet train. And it was just great because he never really had played that much. And this was, and it was going to carry on. But sadly, it didn't. It's a shame because they were supposed to do an American tour, but it didn't happen. But the yeah, shows the band were... was great. Andy Fairweather Low. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah, was we, Nathan East Brony, was playing Nathan, bass, yeah. I think. And, uh, and, and Ray Froney, Cooper was Chuck, playing drums and percussion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, Steve Ferroni. And we had Chuck Lavelle. And we oh, had Chuck the, Lavelle, of course. Yeah, Katie Kassoon, Tessa Niles. The band was amazing. But it was oh, a great, man. just fun. And then... You're hearing, and because of George hadn't really done much solo stuff, we'd, we were in Japan, so we had like 10 or 20,000 fans from, our, from America and around the world follow the shows around. And then we had shitloads of Japanese fans who were all dressed up as Beatles, and we had a great time. It was just fabulous. That is, that is just, that's legendary. I mean, you, you, yeah. you've, you've done, you know, yeah, people, no, I'm really I, people I grew up listening to music. Yeah. To. I mean, I'm, let's go through them. The Who. Yeah, the you know, Who, George, David George, Eric Clapton, you know. But, you yeah, know, let's take take it a little slower. So the Who, you've also, did you do did you do any Pete Townsend solo stuff? Yeah. yeah did I you started do that doing, psycho derelict thing? Yeah, I did that. That's, yeah. the, that's the theatrical rock and yeah, roll that theater was kind of thing. Yeah, on stage, and, you know, we had Eddie Vedder. We had all sorts of people hanging out at that one. But we started, he was on a roll from the Tommy shows, and he wanted to do this solo. It's a great album. Absolutely great album. yeah. yeah. 
And he brought in some people. It was really hilarious. He brought all these people in from Broadway. And they, they couldn't understand this. You've been there, Chris. They didn't understand the speed that we work at. You know, we've got three days rehearsals. Then we're out. We're in the Beacon or something. But where were we in Beacon or the Tower Theatre? We were somewhere impossibly pain in the ass to do as the first show. And all the Broadway guys who were fabulous people, they just were left behind. They couldn't. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they have a, you know. Different, different way. They work at a different pace. Different pace. And we had a great time with that. And he was going through the success of, uh, of, of Tommy on Broadway. And it was just a fabulous tour. So I did all that. We had such great time. But before that, I'd worked with David Byrne just after he worked with Talking Heads. When he left Talking Heads, I started working with Is that the Catherine Wheel? But that would have been his no, first No, I, I did uh, the Ray Momo tour, which was okay. the Brazili- uh, Puerto Rican, Brazilian, Cuban oh, okay. band. Did you ever hear that? I That's remember. a great album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember it at the time. I haven't heard it since that time. It was great. So I, I was working for him and Eric Clapton at the same time. And then I went back to Eric Clapton and uh, worked with David a few times since. And we're good friends. And yeah, yeah I was lucky. So I was always... I did the solo stuff, um, well, did all that, and then... What's, what's, what's life for you, Eric Clapton? What is that like? Is it, I mean, obviously, that music, it's not super ultra-dynamic, so how, no. how do you light an Eric Clapton? But we, I, is, I it, is, like, it, is it more kind of a slow drift of they, themes and moods and that kind of thing? Uh, no, I just did it. I did it. They had a lot of people before me, and I just did it the way I did it. I looked at it, I had a great Rick Hutton, who was a guy who who was a, uh, an R&D guy from Verilite. He was with me on Verilites and uh, we had a great crew and just, I went for it. I said, fuck it, they'd never. And we, of course, he had the new album, Pretending, Journeyman, and it was Journeyman, all rock right? and roll. Big, big songs. So like I- for, uh, Forever Man? Was that that yeah, was Forever Man? Man was on that, yeah, Pretending, yeah. and it was just a huge tour. So we you, were, you, were, you were bumping and flashing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I big like you. They weren't used to it. They weren't used cocaine. Oh, okay. I all this stuff. And I would uh, at one stage, Eric said, "If I get another fucking compliment about the lights, Tom, you're going home." So uh, I was really looking. I was young and cocky. This isn't and about you, great. Tom. Yeah. Come yeah. on. We had a great time, and you know, you're in that circle, and you've got uh, Billy Connolly there, and Ringo Starr there, and all yeah. these great people watching the show, and. Yeah, you're you're upstaging, you're upstaging uh, you know, slow hand. You can't upstage no. slow hand like that. No. Yeah, but he, 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 I learned a few things about musicians and that because he, he'd, uh, if ever you took the follow spot off, Eric, he'd just sort of stand back and slide a cigarette. And I didn't notice about his modus operandi. So whenever I'd sort of fade out, which I, he liked sort of going back, I'd have the manager, Tom, you got to keep the spot on him. So I, after a while, I figured out with him when he wanted to have a cigarette break and let somebody else do a solo. But there was a lot of stuff to learn had nothing to do with lighting, as you know, in your position. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff with musicians that it's sort of their little quirks that you don't know until you're working with them. Uh, and there's 20,000 people screaming and there's somebody saying he doesn't like that or whatever. We had a great time. That reminds, that, me, that reminds me of a story. It's not lighting related, but I remember being at the front of house once. And one of the manager's assistants, the artist band's manager, was holding up a phone. Oh, to the God. band, the band's playing, and the person's holding their phone up in the air so the so the so the manager can hear what the show sounds. Oh my like. God! Oh, I know. And it was I'm just looking, I'm shaking my head. So that's what we're working with. That's just yeah. what you were just saying. That is the yes. kind of aptitude yeah, we are working with sometimes. But the great thing—they had all a great sense of humor. And all of a sudden, you're hanging around with these people, and I was able to at any equality have a story. You're with a Beatle, or you with Eric, or something like this, and. 
all of a sudden that's your world. You know what I mean? It's a fucking funny world. And you're like hanging around these people and they, because I was 20 years younger than everybody, yeah. I was this sort of new kid and got away with murder with an Irish accent. <laughs> but also I sort of brought a lot of dynamic lighting to it. It was easy because the music was there. So we were doing yeah. cocaine. We went, we played the first time ever in South America and 200,000 people had three trusses, wow. three trusses of park hands. And Jerry Stickles was our guy down there. And oh, Jerry, Jerry, wow. Jerry used to look at me and he says, how the fuck do you get away with three trusses of park hands? Last time we were here with Queen, we'd, and after the show, he went, Jesus, that was a great show. It was like, you know, what the hell? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I suppose I just go with the flow and it was good fun. But um, but it's all clubs. You know what it's like? One person knows another and they go, oh, Tom's great. And, yeah. you know, I've had a couple of times where Phil Collins was a drummer in the band. He turned around to me and said, hey, listen, I've got this tour coming up. Would you be interested? And I said, I better ask Eric and Roger. So they said, no, we're busy next year. We did two weeks the following year. Oh, and no. Bill went out and ate, but it's, it was obviously I crossed the line. I shouldn't have done that. Asked, could I work for somebody else, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you learned quick after that, I would imagine. Yeah, they're very generous people, as you well know. All those English yeah, yeah. rock artists, they're great people, you know? Well, that, the, that was a good connection, you know, between yeah. you know, Mick, McDouble and, you know, Kirby yeah. and, yeah, he and all those guys. Me. That's that, that whole, you know, yeah. that whole, they're thick as these, those guys, you know. All of them. And there's great fun. And then working for Pete and that solo thing was crazy. I mean, he was crazy at the time. And I don't know, was he was, it, um, he was Rudge. Around. Rudgy was around at those no, times. No, he too, wasn't right? around. He had left a few years before that. Oh, okay. All that stuff. And um, so was Bill and uh, lots of Broadway people. Pete, it was, we had actors on stage. We'd, it was so much fun. Great projection from um, Jules Psych Fisher's Peggy. Psych what's her face? Psychoderelict. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we had great fun, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was that. Then I went from that into working for Eric again. We did George. It unplugged, carried on. The Who started doing stuff again. And in between, but this is what happens with the TV stuff. Years ago, like 30-something years ago, more than that, Roger Forrest, who was Eric's manager, said, I'm fed up with these guys coming over from America, Tom, and lighting our show differently you gotta learn how to do this so i learned how to do it real quick so they were in a better position then you know and nice. thank god he said that because I, as soon as i started doing television it was pretty once you have a good gaffer and a good crew which you can do anything you know yeah yeah but you, know, you know so so that relationship uh, obviously that's where you met kirbishly and is kirbishly yeah. kind of sends you towards page and yeah. plant yeah, yeah, that was right. uh, which, which, yeah, which. Robert had a great guy working for him for a long time. He was like real hippie, hippie dude. And Jimmy, Kenny, Kenny Mednick. Kenny Mednick, great guy. Yeah. And just That's he's a trippy out there character, San Francisco, yeah. cool, different sort of vibe altogether. Yeah, we and, did the uh, uh, the Now and Zen tour. I was with okay. Jones and the Blackhearts, and I we oh, went for Robert for about three months on that tour. So that's where I, I got to know Robert. Well, I didn't get to yeah. know Robert. I nice. should say that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, he used to he used to take the crews out. And when oh, he's he took right. his he's crew out, he would guy. take our crew out. We could go out there with him. So we, we would all kind of be at the bar and Robert uh, Plant's buying us yeah. all drinks and hanging out with us and, yeah. you know, and letting everybody get sloppy. <laughs> yeah, no, God, I've got sloppy. That's why I don't drink anymore. But oh, he, uh, he uh, yeah, Jimmy wanted a, you know, a certain look and Robert. So I was thrown into the deep end. And the first thing I did with him was this unleaded, which is uh, an unplugged 
that they did in 1994. And well, I watched that knowing I was going to talk to you. I, mm-hmm. I, I That's the one thing, a little bit of research I did. I, I watched yeah. that. And that was great. The, the thing with the uh, the, in, the Egyptian band. Egyptian and, yeah. and, and then the uh, some yeah, sort of London Philharmonic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great right. thing. That I was, is I was, incredible. I know. It's one of the that, greatest things, man. Listening yeah, to Cashmere with a full strength section, oh, Egyptian yeah. strength section, and Battle of Evermore with uh, with the back with that with that that Egyptian Nashman. woman saying, yeah. "Oh my goodness, yeah. this fucking kills me." It was so good. So, so Chris, that brought me to I had to leave Eric Clapton, which was very hard. So I had to leave a really cushy, great vibe, fantastic. But at the time, he was playing this blues album, nothing but the blues, and it was fucking miserable. I was going through a divorce. And, uh, you know, which is really hard. And I was Tom, drinking. Tom, blues are supposed to be miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what it it's was, all about. <laughs> and he was also not playing the hits. So every night you're standing there doing four nights at Madison Square Gardens and people would come up to you and go, hey, buddy, uh, is he playing Layla? And you go, no. And go, what the fuck? I'm like, hey, tell him. It's not, you know. And he just wanted to go through that after the big, uh, you know, after the huge hits of uh, Unplugged and whatever the hell we were doing. But. So that oh, was so, hard. So to what do. you're saying is you had to deflect unhappy. Yeah, people at the front of house mix. Yeah. You used to say. the same guy <laughs> at the bass is too. Hey, dude, why did they play Layla? So yeah. you had to listen to that. How funny! Every night, and it was great. So, and then we the great part of that show is we went from doing arenas sold out everywhere, but it was really hard. You're playing blues, and if you're a guitarist or. If you're a muso or if you're in it, you'd love it. But if you were into the pop commercial Clapton stuff, you fucking hate it. And I used to watch people in the audience like be so not into it. I was like, this is hard. He was really testing his audience, you know, as they can. Musicians, they can really. Uh-huh. I'm going to show you. But okay. the musicianship oh. was amazing. So. Oh, of course it was. Of course it was. He's always had that second guitar yeah. player that Clapton's yeah. always had, whether it be Doyle Bramo or Andy Fairweather Low or, yeah. or whoever. I mean, they were always that second guitar player was always almost as good as he was, you know? Yeah, yeah. Never, never quite. But, you know, we had a great time. And uh, that was hard. So, But I was getting, I did that on Letter thing. And Kerbish uh, was saying, Tom, Jimmy, Jimmy wants you to think about this and Rex and everybody. I'm like tempted. I had so much fun on that show doing that. It's so they were calling me off from all places. So I had to go and confront them and say, I'm not going to be around, but I never got to tell Eric. Uh, and of course things get diluted. So I left and, uh, was the, was the bridge burned? I, I thought the bridge was burned until I talked to Eric a couple of years later. And of course he was given slightly different information. Of course. And, uh, as they always do. are, Tom, say, like, Tom says, fuck you, Eric, he's going. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's what fuck he is. you. Yeah. And it was, he was giving us slightly different information and uh, he was pissed off at me in a sense. Why did he leave me for that? You know, and, and uh, but I went into this world of fucking chaos. It was fantastic. The Zeppelin world of, uh, you know, we, we started in Pensacola. I could write movies about this. We started in Pensacola. And uh, Robert loved that part of the world. Jimmy loved that part of the world. We rehearsed in London for ages. Then we yeah. did Pensacola for like two weeks. Well, again, we're, we're, we're zipping by this very yeah. in- integral part of this conversation for me. Yeah. Uh, so the unleaded thing, that's with the Egyptian band and, and, the, yeah. and, the, and, the, and the other symphony. Um, yeah. That was that was made for TV, right? That was, yeah, a it was TV made for um, it was MTV. MTV asked, asked Robert to do an unplugged. And Robert said, you know, I'm going to ask Jimmy. 
to help me on this. And right. that's how it started. And so you, and, you, you lit that up because I remember there yeah, was these I know Alan Brandon did it and I was flowing. the band's. I was the band's oh, okay. LD. Alan Brandon okay, did gotcha. that. I was the band's LD. I had my little tuppence there here and there. And we had a great time. And I was like a conduit right. for the TV people and, uh, and the band. And then we went from that to rehearsing in uh, London for a little while. And then and you go to a full that. band. You go to a, yeah, a, full, we to a, a full electric band at that point. Full electric band. And we had, but the tour was, was half acoustic, half electric. So we'd play, start off with Wonton Song or something like that. But it, it, it was just one of those experiences. And I had just been right. doing South America with Eric Clapton and Africa and all these places with these huge, huge songs. And I'd always, Zeppelin was always in my head until I started sitting in a room with them playing these songs. And I think, I've got to take a different approach. And they had two rules. They hated very light for a very different reason than light. And they, uh, they really didn't want a flash band wallop show. They wanted looks right. and big theatrical looks, which gave me a, which was a great thing because I had to come up with really interesting colors. I had to really think of shit and think of stuff out of the box and, I don't know if Robert did it on that tour, but Robert occasionally would come out and sit beside me and sing the songs and we'd be lighting it as we go along. Oh, interesting. It was hilarious. You, you have to have some moments. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, we had I, I can't imagine. I don't know if you played Whole Lot of Love, but coming out oh, of the middle did. section in Whole Lot of Love oh. where, the, where the drums pop up. Oh, pop, we had a great time. I mean, you must have. You must oh, I was. Have, I was allowed to go wild there. Oh, okay. But okay. I was allowed to go wild at certain things and I just let express myself. And we also had this, you know, we'd have, the, the, the house lights would black out. We'd start with this Egyptian song. I bring up this green light. It was like a fucking, like, you cannot believe, well, you, I don't know if you ever saw the show, but we went all around the world and we haunted places. It was unfucking believable. Yeah. And, it and, was, a, and a great band, you know, I mean, the, I want to talk about somebody that a lot of people really don't know about, but you and I both worked uh, with him was the drummer, Michael Lee. Oh, Michael, God, yeah, Michael God bless Lee. him. I, I, I worked with him when he was in the cult. You know, okay. for the cult, he yeah. was uh, uh, one of many drummers that were the yeah, cult yeah. when I was, I was yeah. there. But, you know, him yeah. turning into, this was before he worked with Robert, but, you know, essentially oh, that was Robert's band. It was like Charlie yeah. Jones was the bass Charlie player. Charlie Jones, yeah. And Michael uh, Lee, and then and, and pretty much Jimmy just absorbed Jimmy Robert's just fitted band. into it, and he was fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. I haven't seen Jimmy with those guys, but... Yeah. And Michael, I mean, but Michael Lee, just to finish on him, what a, oh. what a great guy, underrated, played that big bottom kick drum sound, oh. but he, he, he died, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. Like 15 a, years a, ago. A, epileptic I was always worried about him. He, uh, mm. he basically, I think what killed him really was a broken heart when the Zeppelin thing, 2008 and Jason, because he'd always hold, he always held out that we would do the page plans. Oh. Always, always. And, you know, when things are slipping away, he, he moved back to Darlington. After doing what he's done in life, he moved back to a very sort of Victorian sort of old English part of England up north. And obviously his family situation was a little strange and he was by himself. And Jimmy kept in touch with him. But, I, I, you know, he, he the last time I'd seen him and... He, he was like, he drank as much as anybody else, but he yeah, was in a, he, he was in the, when I was with him, we were in this big fucking circus of Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. We're playing these massive shows with a big orchestra, Zeppelin fucking songs, Mexican audiences going nuts, Bulgarians going nuts, English audiences. And uh, so you have that thing and you're the drummer behind the fucking thing and you're driving it. And yeah. then he, they stopped. We were supposed to carry on. We stopped and, 
Robert started doing some other stuff and he didn't use them. And then, and I could see his heart being broken. Oh, yeah, what a Chris, you know? but he, he was, you know what though? He was there because he, he filled the bottom thing. Oh yeah. He, he did the bottom thing. He was and a we, big pounding drummer. And I, I remember sitting, you know, watching Soundcheck one day and I just said to him, I said, dude, you just yeah. pound those drums. And, yeah, this yeah. and a little drum kit. Well, they're not well. meant to be tickled. They're, they're meant yeah. to be, you know. They're, uh, yeah. But yeah, kick drum, one rack tom, yeah. maybe one floor tom, maybe two and some cymbals. And that's, that was the, the snare. Yeah, we, 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 on the whole tour, uh, the first tour, was it, we hadn't played rock and roll yet. And uh, we rehearsed it. And we were in Mexico City and we had such a laugh in Mexico City. They'd never played Mexico City properly. And uh, so we do the show and the audience, you know what it's like in Mexico, they're stunning. And the audience were chanting and chanting and chanting and the house lights came on. And from my riser, I could see down the corridor backstage, I'm seeing the Rex and one of the dimmer guys is going, Tom, I think they're going to come back on stage. But... I could see the band come up on stage. The house lights were still on. And I've got Royal Am saying, Tom, when will, I do this? when will I do the house lights? And I went, wait, let's just wait and see what they're going to play. And that place is going fucking up. <laughs> and uh, what's his name? Michael Lee just took it upon himself to go into rock and roll. And when Jimmy hit the guitar lick, I blacked the whole fucking place out and put a follow spot on him. And the place lifted 20 feet. I reckon I <laughs> levitated. But that was afterwards I saw Michael and he said, they couldn't oh. decide what to play. And he said, fuck it, let's play it. And uh, he was that guy. He was just such a wild character. Yeah. And I suppose like the way Mooney is or all those exceptional drummers, they're themselves when they're behind the drum kit and when they're outside of that, they're a little... Well, let, let, let's talk about that because, you know, you've worked with another, you worked with Ringo's kid, Zach. And, yeah, yeah, Zach. and I'll fantastic. tell you, watching him play drums, mm. you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure Keith Moon was entertaining live. I mean, we've all oh, yeah. seen him on video, but I'll tell you, Zach Starkey does the Keith Moon as mm. well as Keith Moon. But he was told by Keith. You he know. was taught by Keith. Keith. Keith at 11 years of age started teaching him drums and other things. So uh, he, uh, like, his act's pretty cool. Doesn't say very much about stuff. It's very much, but we, Pete knows and and they, they really look after him and he's, he's, he's a sensitive soul, but what a great drummer. Yeah. And he but just you know plays what? It goes beyond the drumming. Yeah. It's yeah. the posture. It's the yeah. attitude. It's the yeah, faces yeah. he makes. Yeah. It's the way, it's the way he leans forward over yeah. his snare drum and puts his head into his, his right oh, and gives you that, that look yeah. that he's about to just tear you apart. You know? Yeah. No, it's he's incredible. great. It's always consistent, package. always consistent, always great. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky to be around all these people because you just, for me, as a lighting guy, it's just, it's fantastic. you got these power engines, you know. But when Clapton, I had Steve Gads, Ferroni, Ray, oh. Co Ray, oh. Ray Cooper, I had Andy, the guy from Roxy Music. Andy, what's his name? He was fucking mad as a hatter. We'd, uh, Andy, the guy Andy, from, Andy McDonald or maybe? Or Andy no, no, Andy, the drummer that did all the Lennon stuff. Shit, he's oh, great, okay. great guy. Anyway, he did Eric's Blues thing. He did John Lennon. He did... Roxy music like so all these drummers I've always had even when I was in Ireland there was drummers Irish drummers they were always really exceptional you know what I mean and they're like for lighting that's the that's you know then you've got the Nathan East and the you know Charlie Jones and right. you know the Pino Palladino and the Johnny Russell's oh. and all that so oh, for me Pino. the bands you know what I mean I've always been exceptionally lucky with bands like that you know
Well, you know what? You can get lost in watching Pete Townsend yeah. windmill and Roger yeah. swing his microphone around. You get lost in it, but you know, Pino Palladino oh. is one of the best bass players on planet yeah. Earth. Yeah, know? he plays and, a lot. And, he and, plays. and if you know, just just listen to Give Blood by mm. Pete Townsend from from oh, yeah. uh, from, uh, from the White is it the White City record? Or whatever? White City Give thing, Blood. yeah. Or or Paul Young, every time you go away, you know, he's he's just done so many lovely things, and and he played with. Nine Inch Nails. Oh yeah, he yeah. played. He was, he was Trent's bass player for a leg on a tour, and yeah. uh, you know, just what a guy. I and mean, he's six foot eight. What is he? He's oh like, yeah, he's great. He's the calmest, coolest Welshman in the world. But we have. He's got a great sense of humor. And you know, it's funny. You you come from Roger Waters, where it's scenic, stunning, this that, and we have we have our screens for for. Um, you know, for one of the Pete. Pete really likes the theatrical. So a few years ago, we were going to do a lot of stadiums. So we brought some screens in. We, we don't have smoke. But I was like looking after all the screen content. We had um, Roger's son-in-law and Roger's uh, two son-in-laws and a great artist help us. We had Poe at one stage from the Zeppelin and the old Zeppelin album covers helped us. We had all these great people, but I was always keeping an eye on it. And in every city we go to, we always have a bit of fun. So I'll find out who the local, the little kids soccer team was. <laughs> And for join together, I'll put up the ba- the soccer team's oh, badge, and, nice. and we have so much fun. But when we got to Wales a few years ago, we're in Cardiff, and we went the night before the show. We went to Pino's parents' pizzeria. All of us oh, were there. Wow. Alan Rogan, all of us, and oh, so, Alan Rogan, yeah, uh, rest yeah, in God peace, bless Alan him. Rogan. It's been so we, uh, now, hasn't it? I yeah, mean, yeah, Alan yeah, Rogan, yeah, Pete Townsend's guitar tech yeah. since when? Oh, since 1970 since, something, yeah. Yeah, he's he just passed yeah. away. But you know, the, yeah. there were stories about him that they used to buy him an extra seat on the plane so he could fix guitars during. during yeah, the I would. I believe that. Yeah, he <laughs> or he would. Uh, yeah, Alan, fantastic guy. We miss him a lot. And you know, we just did the last show, real big show we did was in Wembley. Well, actually, we did American shows, but the last British show was in Wembley Stadium with Eddie Vedder and Glenn Hansard and the Who and Melda May. And we had, uh, it was Alan died that day, the day we loaded in. So it was like a requiem for him. But knowing Alan, he fucking loved every minute of it because we, all we <laughs> talked about was Alan. Everybody came to the show and I had big screens. But yeah, I've been lucky in the sense because like yourself, you're surrounded by great people, great technicians, great people who really care about it, you know. And yeah. This show here, the, 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 the amount of great people working on this show with the food fighters and eddie and crew backstage in front and it's just a great you know, it's a great community you know yeah. of, I, I want to talk about more about what's going on there but i'm gonna i'm gonna just finish yeah. your finish you know finish your yeah you know your your burgeoning young life yeah, you yeah. Know? but uh so so yeah so page and plant again amazing stuff holy, holy amazing. shit you got to work for page and plant. Now, oh yeah now i've heard this did you tell me did did they play at your wedding yeah, I had a, I got myself and my wife, we wanted to get, we went to a wedding in Ireland and we decided to get married and Robert heard this and said, oh, we're all going to the wedding. So I invited them and all my family and my wife's family and I got this great Faye McMahon organized this band and I was so scared. It could be anything but Faye, it could be the biggest, <laughs> but they're actually, they were a country western band that did pop covers. So we thought it was fantastic. It was about 80 people at the at the wedding, included lots of musicians, and I'm at the bar with Mickey Kerbyshe and, and Robert Plant comes up and says, Tom, what songs would you like us to play? And I'm having a drink. I says, have you got any Elvis? And 
After about two minutes, I hear train keeps rolling and I, everybody's running out to, to the bar into the thing. And there's Robert, Jimmy, Michael Lee, uh, the musicians from the band, a friend of mine, Philip King, every musician possible. And they played for 45 minutes to an hour. They played rock and roll, they played tearjerker, heartbreaker, oh. all these <laughs> songs. And it was just before the internet. It was 1998. So about, you know, everybody was blown away by it. And about a few months later, we played Dublin. And on the front, this is there's great things in my life. But on Dublin, there is the Irish Times. It said, last night, Page and Blant played in Dublin. They played here once before in 1973. They played here in Belfast City Hall, where they debuted Stairway to Heaven. And they also played at a friend's wedding last week in County <laughs> Kerry. You know, so I have that. So you hear people talking uh, about they have this, they have that. But I have that. And they were just... And we That's didn't incredible. know. Everybody was so juiced and drunk and having a great time till about five months later, we're in Lyon. And this kid comes up to me at the line desk. And like, Tom, how you doing? I look at him and he says, I was a waiter at your wedding. I'm like, what? <laughs> he says, yeah, I heard you were getting married. And I knew somebody would be at it. So I got a job in the hotel for the summer and I was there and I documented it. And he oh, wrote wow. and told us what we what happened and all this. But um. I'll tell you another story leading up to that. Americans like rehearsal dinners. Now, that's not an Irish thing, a rehearsal dinner. My wife said, are we going to have a rehearsal dinner? I'm like, what's that? And she went, well, it's the night before you have everybody welcoming. Is she, is she American? Your wife? Yeah. Yeah, she's American. She's, okay. I met her in Japan and she's American, Italian-American. And so she, so everybody's turning up. Faye, everybody, Jimmy, Robert, all my friends from Dublin, Rab, everybody's that I know. And, uh, Jimmy comes up to my brothers are playing some Irish music. Jimmy says, Tom, is there any chance of finding an acoustic guitar somewhere? I want to jam along. So myself and my friend, Fick, we walked down the, to the front desk and they said, hey, the woman at the, if you go down to the gate lodge, the kid who lives there, the grandson, he's, he's into music. So I go down, knock on the door, woman comes out and she goes, oh yeah, Jim, Jim, uh, no, let's say the kid's Patrick or whatever. Yeah, go into his room, get his guitar. He could be back from school in a minute. So I walk into this kid's room, Zeppelin posters, right? Oh, wow. So I went, can you tell him when he's finished dinner to come up to the house, right? Came back, Jimmy gets a guitar and he's jamming along with my brothers and my, everybody and he's fucking loving it. So I forget about it. I'm like, we're so used to great things in our world. So they're all having a great time. Everybody's singing around and pipes and everything. And after a while, I looked over and there's Jimmy with these two young teenagers and he's shown them the chords and given the guy the guitar and the guy giving back and he's shown them, I'm thinking, wow, will anyone ever believe this kid that this happened? Oh man. You know? So, and that's the great thing about all Teaching those people. Teaching them the rift to whole lot of love yeah, or something. <laughs> they're all, they're all great people. Oh, like uh, oh, great. we were in Australia once and I ran into this uh, female tribute band, um, a Led Zeppelin tribute band. We're in Melbourne. And I asked them all to come to the show. And the girl who was the guitarist was an Asian girl. And I said, hey, I want to bring you back. So I brought them back to talk. And Jimmy said, Tom, get Lionel, the guitar and he, technician. And he brought in his double neck. And he brought in all the really famous guitars. Oh, and the double neck SG, the, yeah, the yeah. Stairway to Heaven guitar. And, and, and she's sitting there and he's, uh, okay, this is how it is. And I'm looking at this girl's face. And can you imagine what that's like? <laughs> you know? And that's the magic of our business. It's like this, people listen to music all their lives and then all of a sudden they go into a bar and they run into somebody who introduces them to their, you know. But 
in the bands I work for, there's no rules. If that was the Eagles, now I'd be shot. You know, yeah, there's yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. they're not corporate bands. All the bands yeah. I work for are <laughs> proper musicians and they're very Hey, hey Don, and, will you show this kid, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the middle section to Hotel California where yeah, you yeah. do the drum roll while you're singing? The, yeah. No, no, I doubt very much. <laughs> but uh, I'm lucky that all the bands, David Byrne, Bowie, everybody, they're all great people. You know, and they're all very down to earth. Yeah, okay, you can't you can't just stop at Bowie and just and then move yeah. on to something else. I mean, okay, Dave, David Bowie. I've I've spoken to people on this podcast. Uh, Charlie Hernandez. We talked yeah. about Bill Leabody. We talked about David right. Bowie. You know, and uh, and uh, I I just you know you can't just say David Bowie and move on. Yeah. So tell me, what about your David Bowie period? What what, what era did you work for him? Well, I, first time I worked with him, I worked with him in 1987, and he was doing this artistic dance thing with a dance troupe from Montreal, I think, French-Canadian. And I was right. brought in, it was David Byrne, that's how I started working with David Byrne, and David Bowie. And okay, David so 87, was dancing. that would have been right after, was it right after Never Let Me Down? It was right around, he had the same hair, yeah, he had the haircut. Yeah, it was, it was a John Osborne who was doing lights for him at that last tour. No, there was that, that there Glass was, Spider tour. That was the Glass yeah, Spider tour. Yeah, that would have been that, John that Osborne, that, right? Yeah, uh, Alan Branton and John Osborne. Yeah. Okay. But they, um, but he, this was a solo stuff. He had finished everything, and he, he was just about to embark on his big Sound of Vision tour. And this was a dance oh, project right. that that David was doing, and I just so happened Harvey Goldsmith and the lighting company sent me down there and. We had a great day and I went out to the pub for lunch, came back and there's, he's standing at the lighting desk, leaning on the desk. He goes, Hey Tom, it's David. What are we going to do? And we worked it out together. What we're going nice. to do is just have some fun. And then a few years later, I run into him again and he remembered me. And then a few years later than that, I was doing a show called Net Aid, uh, which was a big fucking hell. When I think of it now, it was a big live stream show. Mm. One of the first and they didn't have a lighting person at the time or they were going through stuff. And because I was the show's lighting designer, they said, well, we'll use Tom. And I spoke to them on the phone, never spoke to David at all, did the show, took some notes. And after the show, George Michael is about to come on stage. And this guy gets on the headset, he goes, hey, hey, is this Tom? I'm like, hey, hey, man, I'm trying to cue this thing. Oh, Tom, it's David. I went, hey, David, I'll talk to you in a minute. And he goes, oh, it's David Bowie. I want to say... <laughs> And I started <laughs> he wanted somebody who did TV uh, and, who did and I, we had a great time. Did, did David Bowie make you miss, miss your cue? Yeah, I fucked it up. Oh, okay. If you look so, at it on so, YouTube, he's in the dark. Well, he was sabotaging me. He was like, no, he I don't want him to work for George Michael. He was sabotaging the guy going on after him. That's typical yeah, yeah. Bowie. Yeah, let, let's, let's not have you work for George Michael. You're going to work no, for No, no, no. But uh, well, George and Angel, God bless him. But they... Uh, Okay, so uh, Sound and Vision. Did you do Sound and Vision? No, I didn't. I did. That was... Because uh, after Williams. that, he went to... What was it Tim Machine was after? Yeah, I did Tim Machine. and You they, did Tim Machine? No, Willie Williams did that. Oh, okay. And uh, Alan Branton did Sound and Vision. Alan Branton had always done them up until about Sound and Vision. And then Willie Williams started doing it. And if you see a lot of the U2 shows, you see a lot of the Sound and Vision vibe, you know? Right. Uh, that, that, that screen and the projection and the, that whole... That vibe, I can see a lot of it in the U2 stuff that Willie does, but that's Willie, you know. So, and then he did Tin Machine, and then a couple of Gary, Gary Westcott did it for a while. And then, but they wanted to have someone who did TV, and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And Frankie Anfield, the, the tour manager, I'd known him since Joe Jackson in 1981 or something. Oh, wow. 
There's so a name for you. And we clicked and I was doing a lot of television promo stuff, doing a lot of stuff with David. And then he used to just bring me on all these TV promos and I'd just be me, the makeup girl, the security the tour manager, and I'd go to Letterman and all this. And oh, okay. we'd just have a laugh and we'd sit down and I'd do all the one-on-one cameras and he a certain way he wanted to be lit. So I had a great, great time. And then we did lots of shows. and But it was an interesting time because he was... We, the last thing we did together was the reality tour, and uh, oh, it was wow. not the. Oh, so you it. you worked with them through reality, so yeah, I did all that, yeah, and I. So I, did I you do the Nine Inch Nails? No, I didn't thing? do that. Okay, so what happened that after was Roy that? Bennett was a, and them. That was the Earthling. Was after that? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So I I was fortunate to did the reality thing, and then David, whatever was going on in his world, he he pulled me aside one day and he said, "Why did I call this show reality?" I said, I don't know, David, why? And he says, well, I realize I don't want to be David Bowie anymore. He said, oh. and another time he says, Tom, every night I feel as if I'm in a David Bowie tribute band that just happens to have David Bowie in it. And he'd, all these things, and you can see he was going through a lot of this stuff of, you know, he'd go out yeah. on stage and give fucking everything. And afterwards he'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is hard work. Or going, like the nerves, you could feel the nerves and, You'd sit in, like, I remember having a conversation with himself and John Hurt, the actor. Oh, and they're oh, talking oh, about the Elephant Man himself. Yeah. Well, they both did Elephant Man. They both did. And we're in Austria and we're sitting down um, and uh, sitting down, having a conversation, talking about nerves. And John Hurt's talking. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm Tom Kenny, sitting with John Hurt. And they're <laughs> listening to me. Oh, but then again, nice. I went once and David and Tony Visconti played me two albums what do you think Tom mm. you know and I've been lucky like that I'm sure you've been Chris some of these stuff but well you know here, here's the here's the lucky part I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I know I'm gonna stroke a stroke a chord with you I mean working with David Bowie that's one of the there's very few artists out there you know I think there's David Bowie and I think there's Roger Waters, I think there's Trent mm. Reznor. There's a few of them where, where they'll sit at the front of the house with you and they're not just making sure it looks good. They're, mm. it's, it's art. Oh, you it is now, art, You have yeah. now breached over into art and it's not yeah. just rock and roll and, and, no. and making it look good or in disrespect yeah. of the other. You're, where you're, 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 you're taking that you know, next step and you're yeah. at the front of the house for that. And I've, you know, I'm not part of the creative team. I've, I've been inside mm. the creative circle, but I've never been on the creative team. But to be able to witness that at the front of the house and go through, just go through a show philosophies and just and just sitting with David Bowie and doing that or sitting, mm. you know, I mean, it's it's that is is there a bigger yeah. high than that? I mean, no, in, it, in, in it, what you do, a, is there a bigger high than that? Uh, there is because when you get through that and you get through that and like at the one time he was like he turned around he's looking around and he's like Tom I just want to go home to bed but I've been told I've got to do this. I just want to go to bed. Seriously, man, I'm tired. And, and after that, we had a meeting and he, he didn't want, he, there were so many shows out. And the last thing, uh, he just didn't want to be that programmed show. He wanted it to be a bit loose. So the way Mark Connor program, organic, we'd have all these different things. And of course, there's idiots and wankers in every tour. And I had told somebody one night that we ran out of time. We couldn't program anymore. So we used this programming for this song. So I get called into the dressing room one day and David goes, hey, I hear you haven't programmed such and such. I went, no, but you know what we do? We use this for that and it works. He went, right, I'm gonna give you a set list. And he gives me a set list and he tells me to use Heroes Lighting for this song, this song for this song, this song, 
We fucking did it, Chris. And every cue matched. Wow. And afterwards I said, that's amazing. I said, Tom, I have a structure in certain songs. And I, after I heard that, I went, I can see where Tom's gone because he knows he can use those cues in this song because they match. And it was the way his strong song structure is that you could take their colors and things that are one thing, but it was, it was unbelievable. We were like, Jesus Christ, he knew what we, as if you were psychic, you would sit, sometimes you'd be gone. Did I just get, there was an extension of him in a lot of us, you know, because he, he trusted everybody, wanted the shows, but then halfway through it, he'd go, fuck it, let's have some fun, you know? Um, but he was going, and nobody knew his, his health was going down. Nobody didn't let on, you know what I mean? And um, he was uh, getting sick and he wasn't enjoying certain things. He was missing his wife, missing everything. But then one day I was re- on tour and I found this magazine thing and 1972, the exact same feelings he was going through on the tour then. Um, oh, wow. Tin Machine and something like that. So that's obviously his performance what happens to him when he goes out and tour he obviously sees i can do these dates goes out and does them and it must take so much out of him and then all you want to do is yeah. go home so the times when we had great shows was when we used to do these shows around new york and he knew he was going home that night and we did we did this great thing after 9 11 he did the five boroughs tour of, of of new york we did brooklyn we did staten island we did the bronx we did the beacon we did uh got Queens University and we did we had a little 12 lights and I had a Bowie sign and we had we laughed he played about three hours every night and I used to laugh so much because he was just having a laugh it was like telling Frank Sinatra stories telling the Bronx and we so was that after after the heart attack in reality no that was uh no that was before the heart attack in reality it changed then that that changed everything yeah, was, yeah oh, Charlie Hernandez this. told the story of, of the night that he had the heart attack and, you know, and, and how it all just wound down really quickly yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was always going, there's something wrong with my shoulder. I think it was a ski accident. You know what I mean? He was always going on about that. Or, you know, I think I heard it. And then that happened. Mm. And, you know, David's dead now and passed away. But this guy said to me one day, Hey, you work for David Bowie? And I said, yeah. He says, yeah, my, my son is his heart surgeon. And I went, whatever you do, do not ever tell him that you know me, right? Because I know one thing, he's very private about his health and his, you know, the way he is. So you just didn't go there with him ever. And occasionally you tell you, send you an email. And I sort of knew near the end, we always had this bit of a laugh about Ireland and certain poets and artists. He loved Pete Townsend. And I think about peace and keeping, they were in touch together. And I remember sending this email about Berlin that I saw about this little hotel that we had talked about years ago. And he sent me this email, Chris, I'll show it to you someday. And it was two days before he passed away. And I looked at this email, I remember getting a, wow, I've never had an email from him like that. That was, and it was like a saying goodbye to me. It was just, and I knew, and then a couple of days later, and I was in, because of my TV life, I was in mm-hmm. Iowa doing the Iowa Black and Brown Caucus interview. I was lighting uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, all these fucking people. And I get the news. How I got the news is Bill Leabody called me from South America. He was with Coldplay. 
All right. And he told me that David had died. I was like, uh, no one even knew he was sick. It was crazy. No. You know, if, you if, know. He wrote, if David Bowie ever wrote me an email, I think I'd probably buy an iPad and just yeah, have yeah. it on, like, yeah. you know, have that, like, you know, email yeah. displayed on next next to in a picture frame or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah know, I had many oh, great goodness, emails from him. He was, uh, yeah, yeah, he was great. He loved that whole. You know, it's funny because I was doing this that thing the other day we did with uh, the thriller thing, the with the Black Keys and Bieber and all them. But Pete Davidson was there, and I, I know a mutual friend of hers, um, Saturday Night Live guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Judd Apatow's a friend of mine, so I went up and I said, "How you doing, man?" No, Judd. And he goes, "Oh, hey, what are you doing?" And I said, "I know Judd because he played with the Who a couple of times." And so then he starts talking about music, and I had to go back to my lighting desk and I. Wanted to tell him the story that we were in Buffalo once with the Who and uh, Joey Ramone jumped up at the lighting desk and I never realized how fucking tall he was. So I stopped sort of, hey, you can do the lights tonight. And I started talking to Joey about the show. And this was 1996 or something like this. And Joey goes, now, does Pete have an email address, Tom? And I said, I don't fucking know. What is an email address? And it's like, who going on? And he's going, um, yeah, well, give him my email address. And I said, what's your email address? And I hadn't a fucking clue. And he goes, my email's joey at aol.com. <laughs> <laughs> so I go back after the show. We're going to the plant. And I said, hey, Pete, I met Joey Ramon. And he goes, this is an email address. He goes, bastard, he's got a great fucking email address, joey at aol.com. So he was one of the first, you know. Of course. But Pete Davidson is playing Joey Ramone in a oh, in a movie. So I wanted to tell him a couple of Ramone stories, which is uh, oh funny. You know, I, I, but, I had this I had the Ramones as a support act, actually. Crazy yeah. enough. I was working for White Zombie in nineteen ninety-five and the Ramones came out and opened up for us. It was wow. this new band having legends and it was crazy. Yeah. But they were funny. I mean they, they were great. They were just like a, a I mean, they were like a bunch of old women. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I don't mean to mean that in yeah. any other way yeah. than, than what it means. You know, they were just these whiny, you know, just. Oh, yeah. Just, New Yorkers. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they had an art director as well. I remember David because when I worked for David Byrne, because I loved all that music. And st- I was in 1989. I'm in New York for about six weeks. Bill Ebody was with us. And so to be, you know, you'd be sitting in catering with television. You'd be sitting with uh Blondie, what's her face, Debbie? Um, um, Debbie Harry, sitting Harry. with Debbie Harry, yeah. And all these people that I listened to were all coming to the shows every night, hanging out of the light desk. And I got into this. I loved that whole David Burns' friends were fantastic. Um, punk, you know. And then because I worked in London, and then the Clash were always around the Who and all this, so we had like a good. It was a great music. I'm really lucky. That's why I could never, even though I do a lot of TV shows with pop bands, I wouldn't survive fucking 10 minutes working for a pop band. It's hard. <laughs> I just couldn't. I've been so spoiled with this great music. Oh, and I, I saw I know. The Clash open up for The Who when I was in high oh, did school. You? It was at Shea Stadium. It was on Combat Rock. So oh, wow. Like, well, I heard a great, um, what's his name? I did, I, speaking of TV, I did this great show called uh, Hip Hop Honors for BH1. And Fab Five Freddy was the writer. And he was talking about Ireland to me and we're chatting away. And uh, he says, so I hear you work for The Who. And I went, yeah. He says, I watched The Who at Shea Stadium under the stage. And I said, what were you doing? He said, well, I was there with The Clash. 
And my friend had this fucking great joint. So we went, he said, come on here. So we got underneath the stage and we found a crack in the stage and we could see Townsend jumping up and down. <laughs> and we smoked this joint and we're blowing the smoke out to the thing. And at one stage, Pete looks down through the fucking crack and he sees us and he scared the fucking life out of us. So, uh, and another thing, uh, Bill Kerbishy told me a great story. When he, they, they're Kerbishy's so smart when it comes to support bands or guest bands with the Who. They always have to have somebody that can fucking give them a run for the money. So the Clash were doing some shows around America, but they weren't they they they, they weren't getting the support they needed. So Bill and Pete said, "Let's get the Clash to support us." So he rang up the Clash's guy, and uh, he said, uh, "Listen, we're going to give you twenty thousand dollars for the to support us." And they're like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, okay, and yeah, there'll be food, yeah, yeah, yeah. there'll be a dressing room." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he said, that's great. They put the phone down. Anyway, about 10 minutes later, ring up and says, hey, man, would you pay for our gas? We're just wondering, will you pay for our gas? And he's thinking <laughs> they're taking the fucking piss now. Oh, but yeah, funny. and they, they, sadly, Joe, we did a, fuck, when did Joe Strummer die? He he played with us a couple of months before oh, he passed okay. away in this great Mescalas band. And what a character. And there was a lighting company I worked with in London used to have super make. They owed the money. The Clash owed the light. So they had all the Clash flight cases, these pink flight cases. And uh, we used to put cable in. I used to feel bad. Jesus, this was a guitar case, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so I've always been lucky to be surrounded by that. And then you do what we do here. So during the Foo Fighters and Jennifer Lopez and all that people who are all punks <laughs> mm. uh, playing on this, but I've been lucky that way with good music, you know. Mm. Hey, I forgot to ask you when we were back uh, chatting about uh, you know page and plant thing, the celebration day, the O2. Yeah, Erdison we show. weren't involved with that. They you they were talked involved. into by names will not be mentioned, but somebody said, "Do not use anybody that's ever worked for Zeppelin before." And I have an email somewhere from Robert Plant. And I was on it at one stage, and then it sort of faded away. And they used a lot of people from the, the sort of the mad guy who was looking after them. So they got rid of me, Rex, Roy Lamb, all this stuff. So when Robert arrived at, at rehearsals, one of the APRG LSD guys said that he was going, Where's Tom Kenny? So where's Roy Lamb? And it was a, that decision, though, and you can ask Robert, was the reason why Zeppelin will never happen because. He thought afterwards, if they can talk me into not using all the people I've worked with in the past, they can talk me into anything. And that's one of the reasons Zeppelin mm -hmm. never happens, because as Robert will tell you, it's bigger than a human being. The yeah. money is just fucking outrageous. Yeah, yeah. But as Robert always says, it's like going to sleep. It's like sleeping with your divorced wife. It's really yeah, fucking yeah. hard. Uh, I, mean, I, totally, I totally get it. I mean, because because he he does play Zeppelin stuff in his yeah. own in his own band. So it's not the fact that he doesn't want to play Zeppelin. Songs. No, no, he's you got know? it there, and he plays his own wax first. And I did a, I did some great solo shows with Robert and that great band that he has, and. Uh, we did this one night. I had 12 icons, PRG icons, and six little brown rows and four Molfe were in the Hammerstein Odeon. And I clicked, Robert clicked, it all clicked. And I had Peter Gabriel standing beside me. I said, I went, fuck it, I'm going to have to show off tonight because mm -hmm. he's standing there and whatever. So I had one of the best lighting shows I ever did with Robert. And afterwards, I'm walking up the stairs, and in typical Robert Plant, I hear, Whatever the fucking you do, do not tell him the lights are good. He'll ask for more money. That's what I heard as I walked up. <laughs> Typical Robert Plant. 
but he brings out this greatness in people. Oh, you know what funny. I mean? He's funny. great. And he's great sense of humor. I, I don't know. I couldn't work with, and I've had to work with people without the humanity sense of humor. And it's like hard. It's like a job. Right. You know? It's okay, like so walking you, you on eggshells. You just, you just mentioned Hammerstein. So yeah. I, I remember that's that's the day we spent together. I was doing a Mary J. Blige storytellers yeah. in the Hammerstein Ballroom, and, and, and you you came in to, to light it. And yeah, I remember spending fantastic. the entire day with you. That was yeah. really good. It was so a great that, show. So that side of it, did you did you do a lot of? I mean, were you employed by MTV or? Yeah, or who, MTV. Who I did a lot of the storytellers. I did God shit, but I did some great ones. My morning jacket. Uh, lots of Mary's one. Ti. We did some amazing ones. I did Jay Z's. Uh, you happen to do Steely Dan? No, I didn't, uh, unfortunately. I did Steely Dan one. once yeah. at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I always wondered why sound engineers use Steely Dan until that day. Now I know why. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but the records, uh, no, are I, just, the records just sound so good, too. Oh, they know? do. Yeah. They, they really do. And, so uh, you, you, you did Rock and Roll Hall of Fame stuff. Did you do? I did, yeah, for about four years. I brought, was brought in because Eric was being inducted and the producer brought me in and so i did eric clapton and i was talking has tom petty i did like four great years uh, james taylor and i'd worked with majority of all them and then a new producer came in and that's the thing about tv shows a new producer comes in they bring in their own person and change and that's part of it you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah but uh yeah it's a rock and roll fame is a funny one because if you, you should talk to pete townsend about it or roger waters because it was it was them that started it. It was them that made the money, the first contributions to, and they sort of forgotten a little bit of where they come from, you know. So I've sat with a few of Eric and people like that, and it's a funny, it's a sad but funny thing now. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's a great idea, the Rock and Roll of Fame, but I think they've sort of slightly forgotten where they came from, who started yeah. them, you know, yeah, yeah. like I, everything you know, else. I don't know. It it's becomes hard, it's hard to. It's hard to judge. Yeah, because they have to survive. They have to survive. Let's be like having painting of the year or or sculpture of the year or something. It's just very it's it's just weird. Anyway, have you have you done what what else have you done in lighting? Have you done architectural at all? Have you? Yeah, I've done some architectural lighting. I've done. I've been brought in like I did. I lit the Statue of Liberty. I lit a lot of bridges. Things like this were brought in for a TV thing. I've never done permanent. I got asked once. God, I was asked once to like this Arab princess house uh, by an architect in London, and it could have taken me down a whole new route, but I just didn't have the backup. You always have to have the backup of, of a great electrician or a great gaffer or something like that, so I didn't. Now I could do it because I know people, and it's like nightclubs. Yeah, yeah. I've done a couple of nightclubs, and it's the carpenters that do most of the lighting, you know what I mean? But you don't <laughs> know that until you get involved, you know? Funny. But I've lit, listen, I've lit the Brooklyn Bridge, the Empire State Building, I've lit all those buildings right. um, because of MTV stuff or concerts or U2. I lit the Brooklyn Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, you know, so you get to do all this epic stuff, you know. And uh, yeah, it's all cool. And you, you can never think you'd be doing this when you were 14 years of age as an Irish guy. All of a sudden you're in this great stadium. About to do some shows, or you're, you know, you know what it's like, Chris. You're walking out through the crowd, you're going, How the fuck did I get here? I know. Really I, 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 job I, I, you... I'm going to really think that <laughs> soon, yeah, sooner soon. Later, hopefully. You know, yeah. yeah. But I've so been lucky this... in the last few years. I've yeah. been really lucky with stuff, you know. So 
I'm I'm looking forward to doing. That's why TV's what all still going. Are. TV's yeah. still going. So yeah. yeah, let's 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 talk about you know let's let's wind down talking about where you're at. You're in SoFi Stadium. The event is for. T- tell me the name of the event. It's Global Citizens uh, Vaccination Live, and it's it's to inspire people and to promote the fact that we all need to try and get vaccinated, yeah. which will help get us to a normality and we can go to concerts and go to sports, but also at the same time, and actually they, they just talked about it today in news that there's a lot of countries that need our help, lead American help with yeah. uh, some European well, places, but yeah, there's a lot well, of if We're not using it. We've got, we've yeah. got plenty of stock, you know, yeah, the supply we got is of not stock. the issue, you know I mean? And we, uh, we've always been that, it. we've always been that country that's done that. And thankfully we're getting back to doing that, being the helpful hand, you know? So yeah, this yeah, is yeah, great. And this is global citizens do an awful lot for, it's more about thinking about it and the idea of it and just really thinking about your life and, yeah. It's they've got this lined up. I know they've got this amazing one that's a big secret, but it's not so much after I just said it in <laughs> Europe. And there's one in London and they, they want to try and this is a way of opening up shows and everybody right. wants to be on this show. And it's yeah. it's a not very long show, but it's it's gonna be about thirty, forty thousand people. I can't wait. To those house lights black yeah, out. I, I like the whole helping hand thing. I mean, to, as you know, for yeah. four years, we weren't the helping hand. We had our hand out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, what's, I know. In it, what's in it for us, you know? We, yeah, you know, exactly. We got to give, you know. But I noticed you have the Desert Trip uh, poster behind you there, man. That was yeah. an experience, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a yeah, great that's, experience. That, that was another great time we had together. I mean, yeah. and, and not only was all the bands great, but the gathering of people. Yeah. You know, how, many people, how many people did you reconnect with? Oh, so many people. We had some, but I was so busy because my job at The Who is, as Rex King says, it's 99% politics, 1% lighting. So because I'm the the sort of one that'll go, hey, such and such is looking for somebody and I'll run out. It's a very small team of people. So I spent my time walking to your dressing room looking for Peter Aiken from Ireland to going over somewhere else looking for Paul McCartney's people and just to bring people because we had such a great back. Like one thing that not many people know about is the compounds that we had on that show was so great, wasn't it? They were. They were. You know, each so, artist had that. It wasn't just a row of trailers. It was yeah. so It was beautiful. Like yeah. the Roger Waters compound. We yeah, had, it was beautiful. We had a whole line of trailers that were, mm. you know, circled the wagons mm. with, with a tent over the whole thing and, yeah. and proper bathrooms. And, and, yeah, and I was, was really good. good. Really and Paul good. and, and them, every artist had their own. Yeah. The, the the only sad thing for me, and I told Paul, is that that's just the one. There's a couple of things that Bowie always wanted to do. He wanted to do the Electric Picnic, he wanted to do Glastonbury again, and he wanted to do Coachella, and he never got a chance to do those, sadly. And I told Paul from Coachella that hey, actually we put a big thing up on the screens for David because he just passed away, um, but. That would have been, and sadly, what never happened is the following year, there was supposed to be in the 1970s. You know that, Chris? They were trying to do Elton, Billy Joe, Zeppelin. They really were trying. And and Jimmy Page told me that they had offered him three or four nights there. And that would have been perfect, you know, but it just wasn't going to work out. And it's... uh, it's a one-off in our lives that we're, who knows if it'll ever happen again. Can, you know? can, can Jimmy still play, you think? I mean, does he play? What is, what is Jimmy? Oh, yeah, he noodles away. He, he goes to art galleries, poetry, reads. He's just a very academic guy, and he's got so much going on. He, he's the keeper of the Zeppelin stock. He's always he, got he photographs. Is. 
but you know that that he's 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 a guy that should have played and done a lot more than he did in his life. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know. What, I mean, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do or or, or yeah. say you're you're not happy or or, mm. or what your what the, what your choices you've made are good or bad yeah. or whatever. But but he played in Led Zeppelin for you know barely ten years. Yeah, he did, he did a little thing with the firm. He did a little yeah. thing here during Led Zeppelin. You know, Robert Plant has probably done. You know, a half a million more shows. Oh yeah, so Robert just <laughs> Robert loves to travel. He loves the crew. He loves seeing, Pete Townsend's the same and Roger. And they, it's the normality. You know, it's the sort of you're this person, but when you're out doing shows, you're doing your job and you're meeting people and chatting. Jimmy's more sort of quieter, sort of invert. But when he's out there, man, he like the shows I did. We had such a fucking laugh, like. Some of the I think of some of the chats afterwards and the guitar solos and you're in you're doing the first ever show in Bucharest. We did the first ever show in Bucharest, and I used to always did, walk did around. Did you do it in front of that big building? The no, no, no. We did it in the arena and it, no car park lights and nothing like that. And I went there for a walk before the show, and I saw these kids hanging around, and I went, "What are you doing?" He says, "Well, we can't afford a ticket. We're going to listen to it out here." And I went, "Come on!" And Roy Lamb gave me some working passes and brought these kids in. Sat them at the lighting desk, gave them some beers. The show was fucking incredible. It was that Egyptian band. And afterwards, I brought him back, and Robert was sitting. I'll never forget it. Robert sitting on a fly case playing a mandolin. You couldn't fucking make it up. And these kids, these Romanian kids, and they were like, hey, Robert. And they're chatting away. And we, hey, did, you, was, did you see, what was that movie that Jimmy Page did with uh, uh, The Edge and Jack White? It's, it's oh, going to yeah, get loud or something like that. Yeah, it might, it might get loud. And do you know the scene where, you know, Jimmy gets up, he puts the Les Paul on, he plugs into the Marshall and, and you know, The the Edge and Jack White are, are sitting there watching and then yeah. he starts riffing on Whole Lot of Love and then yeah, they show yeah. the look on The Edge's face yeah, yeah, when they're yeah. looking at each other, their jaws are dropped over. Yeah. Fuck, we're watching Jimmy Blaze play a whole lot of love. I know. Because well, that was a great thing about working for bands like that. You get all those other great bands coming to watch them, you know, and you get, you know, um, and that, that, I, I, that documentary, this girl about three years later said, Tom, you know, I was supposed to call you about that. And I just didn't. I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> of all the things you should have called me was that, you know. Oh, but I know. I know. That. The great thing of documentaries, there's a massive Zeppelin documentary coming out. I, I wonder why it hasn't come out yet. Did you read uh, Peter Grant's book? No, I didn't. I met oh, Peter a few it, times. It's, 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 a, good it's a good read. He has a book yes. called uh, Bring It On Home, I think is his book. And it's, yeah. it's somebody wrote it. Somebody wrote a story yeah. about Peter Grant and just, you know, the makings of the Yardbirds and where he came mm. from and the wrestling aspect of him and the gangsterish yeah. aspect of him. Oh, yeah. And then you know, you know it's, it was a really great read. If you're a reader, uh, I yeah, would, yeah, I would no, I love it. that. You know, it, it's it's kind of, I would say the end was kind of sad. You know yeah. what happened to him and what how cocaine just destroyed, oh, just took just over his life, him, and that's you know? that that sort of devastated the band as well. I think you know, I just from what listening to them and all that, and they're very private about stuff like that. But from Rex King and just the fact that the machine behind him was Peter Grass when he was yeah. keeping Jimmy and all them together and Jimmy's brain. And, and then when he started going down, it's funny, you know, they, there's nobody holding them together and, you know, and that's what happens. It's uh, you, you need to have that good management behind you. You need to have somebody keeping an eye out for you, yeah. you know, but uh, yeah, he was great. I had a good laugh at him. The last time I saw him was in the Wembley 
and he, there was, I walked backstage and there's a Led Zepp 1, Led Zepp 2 Range Rovers. And I wonder who owns these. <laughs> and it was Peter Graham, his son. And oh, we, I was with a Harvey Goldsmith himself and Robert talking about stuff and just character. Just a Harvey. character. Harvey's a legend, man. Oh, Harvey's <laughs> a legend, yeah. And uh, yeah, just all these great people around us. And, you know, I want to celebrate them. I was just asked to do something for Ron Delsner in New York soon in the summer. And I can't wait to do it. All these people helped us get to where we are by right. creating those concerts, those gigs. Ronnie Delsner is one of the last, I mean, great yeah. ones. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking early 60s. Oh, yeah. And you know, we're not talking promoters who, who you know, jumped on it in the 70s or even 80s. Yeah. We're talking Delsner goes back yeah, to yeah. the 60s. Back yeah. He, they created the industry. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. He was uh, one of the, hey, guys, you all right? Yeah, yeah good. Hey. Hello, Kenny, our lighting director. Hello. How are you doing, guys? You all right? What's up, man? Great to see you. Very good. Cool. Welcome That's to Radio Check, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. <laughs> I'm backstage here at the Facts Live. Okay, well, but, let's, uh, let's, 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 let's wind down then. You're getting busy there. Okay, so this, this, this event, you know, your, 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 your lighting event, all these bands are going to come in. Mm. Um, you know, we didn't finish talking about the event. Yeah, all these bands are coming in, and it's basically they're playing two or three songs. Uh, Eddie's got this amazing set, and uh, he's starting out off the night. And then we got Jennifer Lopez coming on. Yeah. Doing this very intimate song, all singing, all dancing. Then we got Jay Balvin, this great Latin American, very artsy yeah, first. Yeah. And then the Foo Fighters close and they're just the Foo Fighters close with some track amazing songs. And they're just gonna go for it. So you were saying Dan Hadley's not there. Yeah, Dan will come down later on. on oh, Dan, Dan will be there for the show. Yeah, he'll come down on oh, Friday. Oh, okay, great. Okay, you, you know, told me it wasn't there. It's a TV show, so we're like, you know, I'm, we're doing all the lighting and all that. But we always, we, all, we like the guidance of people yeah. from the tour, you know what I mean? But it's, Foo it's, Fighters got to have some Dan Hadley there. Oh, yeah, Dan's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's part of the whole vibe. And you know what? He's one of the first people to reach out to me on this show. So you look after everybody. You look after nice people who are always great, you know, and they, they're, they've got the best, the band's best intentions. And I'm in that position so many times with all the bands mm -hmm. I work for. So you know what it's like. It's awkward, but it's great. You're still at work and you want to make it great and enjoy. It. And then, as he said, he just can't wait to go to a gig like all yeah, of us. Yeah. It's a proper gig. You know, Keely's coming down from oh, running Keely. from the Jimmy. Nice. Yeah, she's doing Jimmy Kim alive and she's going to come down afterwards. And it's just a great vibe to see people. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. What's that? What is that like? Tell, tell the, yeah. tell the aspiring back on the rotors yeah. uh, at home. Yeah. Oh, Everybody's looking at each other with a smile. Sound yeah. guys, lighting guys, they're all yeah. working together. It's Everybody's just great. Really helpful because yeah. they're just so freaking yeah. happy to be there. I know. You know, just, it's, you know it's, what it's like? It's like those great years. America hasn't really got it yet, but. European festivals, rock festivals, yeah, when you're yeah. backstage, you go into catering and you meet everybody you've yeah. ever met and known and loved or yeah. liked or whatever in your life right there. And you yeah. spend all your time and then you do your gig and you're looking around and somebody comes up to you and go, Jesus, who are you with? And it's that sort of community that's fantastic, you know? Yeah, the European, the, the European, you know, the, the, the yeah. Verkters and the... Oh, yeah. Verkters, the Roskildes. And, and all these. Very, it's all just so fun. Different not, not so much want, download. Download. Have you no, ever done download? No, no, I don't do those things. But <laughs> what's funny is because um, Taylor Swift and that sort of type of musician, they're starting to do festivals as well. And they were they realized what rock bands realized years ago. You can hit a lot of markets in yeah. just one thing. You know what I mean? 
And there's that six o'clock slot that they have in Glastonbury where they'd have Lionel Richie, they've had Gloria Estefan, they'll have. And you're just before we were there with the Who and uh, we were closing out. And uh, Lionel Richie was dancing. It was hilarious. And like straight afterwards was some great British band, Kasabian or something like that. So I was thinking for a punter who's standing in the audience, yeah, you got yeah. fucking Lionel Richie, everybody dancing like this. And all of a sudden you got this Scottish band or wherever they're from mm. just screaming afterwards. But they and don't dance on the ceiling, though. No, Come they on, don't no. dance. No, they wish no, they did. Can anybody follow dancing on the ceiling? I mean, no, that's, that's, not that's, really. You know, no, David no. Copperfield could not follow yeah. dancing. Well, but, my, but what I loved about where I was sitting there with Roger on a flight case and Lionel Richie starts the show with hello backstage. <laughs> we were... <laughs> we could we don't want an opening of a show does like, everybody break into tears everybody <laughs> in the audience is fucking yeah there's 200,000 people I went god bless you man but Barry Gibb did it the, the last year I heard and it was stunning you know oh, it's 6 o'clock 6 o'clock at a stadium like we, I've only done that once that was with Page and Plant at Glastonbury in 1995 and we, Robert Plant found out that there was dodgy scrumpy, which is a cider. And the crowd, somebody broken through the gates. So there was 80,000 extra people in an already overcrowded, very hot English sunshine. So we swapped our place. Status quo, that great British band, we're going to yeah, be yeah. going on 11 o'clock. And we, no, we were going to be going on 11 o'clock and status quo were going at six o'clock. And Robert and Jimmy and Bill Kerber, she went to the status quo dressing room and said, can we swap? And they were like great British R&B <laughs> rock band. They were fucking right. So we went on at six o'clock in broad sunshine. So all that programming you put in really paid yeah, off. Yeah, really. But it didn't matter because we were on the bus and we were back in the hotel in London by 11 o'clock. So uh, it didn't matter. Funny. Uh, but yeah, so those festivals, I fucking, I can't wait. So that's why I can't, as much as the work and lighting and doing this great yeah. stadium, I'm really looking forward to the sound checks when everybody. The, 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 the Americans are getting it, you know. C3, no, 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 they are. The, the C3 just, guys are, are really. I, yeah, are really I just want me. every American Lala, band. Lollapalooza. Yeah. Uh, oh no, Perry Coachella's gotten better. I'll tell you that desert trip thing we did was. Yeah, really, that was great. That well was really good. Impressive. We had a we had a great chat with Perry at uh, we did this we do this show every year. Funny enough, the last time I saw the foos, the Who have this charity called Teenage Cancer American Teenage Cancer Trust. And we did one last or two Octobers ago, and it was Pink, Ed Sheeran, the Foo Fighters, Paul Stanley. Uh, I can't remember. It was some fucking amazing bands on it. And backstage, Perry uh, was there talking to Pete Townsend. And I, I said, we should do Lollapalooza sometime. And Pete's like, fuck, I'd love to do that. So it's funny how that band, and he walked away, Pete walked away. Oh, my God, have the who on Lollapalooza? You know, it's 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 one of those great, great festivals. It's a great yeah. meeting of the minds. And it's, uh, you know, heavy metal are great festivals. And it's great to see that they're in these sort of rock bands at great festivals as well, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but what can you say? We're lucky. But you know what? We're I'm very, very lucky. Important. We're very lucky. And thank you, Tom. I appreciate you spending yeah. this time. And, 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 and Thanks, uh, Matt. Sharing your oh, stuff. Thank you. Yeah. That was epic. Epic. Yeah. So <laughs> and you know what? That's I really enjoyed it. Huh? But, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, we, but, we, we, didn't, we didn't even scratch the surface on No, no, but that's great. Could... And you know, we never mentioned, we never talked about lights. We never talked about, it's great. There's so many chats and stories and thanks for uh, for chatting to me about this is great fun to remind stuff, you know, of how lucky we are in life. Yeah, yeah. You know? 
So, 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 so last, last, last question. Are, when, are you going to operate anymore? Are you give, have you given up operating? On the who I, I sort of operate because I have to, yeah. you know, but a lot of the time it's better for me in my position to have other people program. Yeah, people program and, and operate. As well, technology as like, I watched the guy's program. I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, you, you know, you 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 know, you got to give some more audience blinders. Yeah, you know, you yeah, gotta, no, oh yeah, you, know, you got to do that. We won't get fooled again, audience blinders. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you you gotta, you know, yeah, yeah. but we up. have, yeah, we've got all that. But uh, I'll do all that always. But there's on these TV things, it's like you're dealing with. You know what it's like, Chris. You've got the director, you got the AD, you got the producer. You're talking to all these people, and you're listening to the crowd. So it's best to have Mark Butts and Aaron who are doing it here, yeah. just running and keeping everything safe. You know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, okay, Tom, we'll, right. we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to yeah. you soon. You yeah, know, thanks we'll very get, much. We'll get thanks, this out Matt. there. And hopefully, yeah, the you, next Tom. time that we was, talk, we we'll next time we all talk, we'll be in a fucking stadium full of people about to see a rock show. You know, yeah. well, ho- hopefully, I won't be holding a beer. Hopefully, I'll be you know, no, you'll be working at it. Yeah. You'll I'm be holding working. a radio. Hold Matt beer. can hold the beer. Okay, <laughs> thanks, right. thanks, Tom. Thanks, talk to you soon. Bye.